Well, it's very nice to be back at Chithurst again um, and uh, enjoy the generous hospitality of the resident community here, Ajahn's uh, Chitta and the other monks, and also this afternoon had a chance to um, go down and enjoy a cup of tea and chat with my Kiwi friend. As Ajahn Suchito said, I don't get to come down here very often, but I am very familiar with the place. I, I did live here for, I think, probably going on five years, and um, I was doing a quick little look around to see if I recognized anybody, and, and I recognize Ajahn Suryo and Ajahn Jutindaro, and that's about it. Um, everything else has changed. And the place has changed. Uh, I used to, I've got a lovely room up here, uh, upstairs above the uh, Dhamma Hall here, and, and when I first came to Chithurst about 27 uh, years ago, I lived right up here, uh, exactly up here, and upstairs above, uh, what was the old, uh, what was it called, the, um, the uh, stables or something, the coach house, the old coach house, and the bats used to fly in and out in the evening, and... Uh, it was a bit rustic, it's certainly nothing like it is now. So this evening I thought, um, as Ajahn Sujito indicated, tomorrow there's an ordination ceremony here. Oh, I just recognize somebody. There's an ordination ceremony here tomorrow, and that's, I find that personally very inspiring. Uh, we have, uh, is it two or four or six? Four. Four people... Uh, making a ritual statement of their commitment to the celibate renunciate life tomorrow. And I do really enjoy pondering on this theme of renunciation. It's not, I don't think for me renunciation ever was, was a moral issue. As soon as I heard about it, I was always inspired by what is in fact the, the energetic issues that are being dealt with, that as uh, Buddhism presents the teachings on renunciation, uh, they're quite they're distinctly different from from matters of morality. These are these are, are training guidelines so that we can um, maximize the energy uh, for our practice. And and so I always found this 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 matter of well, energy in general. I can remember as a kid, I was just reflecting on this that when I was very young, I can remember the enthusiasm I discovered when, when you could make a particular effort and get a specific tangible result. Like, for instance, I was thinking about uh, the, um, on my old bicycle, I had a dynamo. I don't know, these days, probably everybody's got batteries on their, on their bikes these days, but when I was a kid, we'd have a dynamo, and it was this kind of clunky contraption that you'd lean against the wheel. You remember some of you? And, and this little thing would whir around the top, and, and it would get light. You know, you get this light coming out, and, and the more you pedaled, 
the more light you would get. And I found that really, that's really interesting that you could, you know, really make a difference like this. And, and then discovering a magnifying glass. I remember as a child discovering the power of magnifying glass. When, you know, all you have to do is just hold this thing at the right way. And you can have fire. Yeah, that's, you can have fire. You can, and you can, and I'd hold it on my skin sometimes and, you know, you could feel, and then you set paper alight and hay alight and so on. And, and then I remember we, we, we moved on to things like, um, on, um, you'd get two screws and, uh, two bolts and a nut and you'd cut the little caps out of, you know, for a cap gun. You cut the caps out and you put them in there and you'd screw these two nuts together with two bolts together with a nut and you, you can make really quite a nasty little weapon uh, out of these things. And uh, the power of, you know, that, uh, anyway, I, uh, <laughs> I didn't, um, I didn't go on to develop that side of my creative ability. Uh, but when I did, when I, it's, it's, it's related to this theme of renunciation because when I came across the Buddha's teaching and particularly the way Ajahn Chah uh, talked about the training that if you really want to make a difference, you know, if you want to have an effect, in this case on your mind, you want to change something, it is possible. It's really possible. And this is, this is what renunciation is about. Like giving up eating in the evening, giving up intimate sexual relationships, giving up music. I mean, these are not moral issues. Um, well, it could be the moral element to it, but that's not, what the renunciate training is about, and uh, but rather by by putting aside in, consciously, intentionally putting aside something, not as a judgment, not because you think there's something wrong with listening to music or or something wrong with eating in the evening. And I found out recently that it wasn't that long ago that the church had banned forks. Did you know this? The forks that we eat with. The church banned forks. Because they were considered as dangerous, they helped you enjoy food too much. You know, like food was a threat, pleasure was a threat. This is not, this is not what the Buddhist teaching is. This is not where it's coming from. But rather, if we appreciate that there's something to do, and in this case we have this, you know, really tedious condition called ignorance that we have, you know, we really want to deal with. If we, if we really want to address this, well, we need energy. And uh, and this is what you know. This is certainly how I understand the cultivation of renunciation. Now, yes, tomorrow there's a uh, an ordination ceremony, um, but this is not just for celebrate renunciates. This is something that the Buddha pointed out was was an appropriate practice for uh, a necessary practice, really, for everybody to to learn how to be able to to be able to say no. To learn how to say no to ourselves. Again, not in a judgmental way, but with an understanding, with an appreciation that if we're always being driven by our conditioning, then basically we're not in the centre, we're not in charge of our energy. You know, our energy is basically being siphoned off by our conditioning all the time. And so if we really want to take responsibility for our lives, we say, it's practice, I find this practice, this possibility of freedom very inspiring, where well, we need all our energy. We need all our energy for, for, for this work. And so I, uh, obviously, as you might gather, I think renunciation is a really good thing. I'm uh, into it. I'm, I do a promotion on it regularly, whenever I get the chance. I, 
advertise it if I can. Um, try not to get evangelical about it. That doesn't, you know, go down very well. But I do think it's a very good idea. And and I'm not alone. I found out also that um, the Virgin Mary um, was she apparently uh, she she said this. And I've just come back from um, from Dubrovnik. You know where Dubrovnik is in, in southern Croatia. I went to stay with some good friends there um, for, for a couple of weeks and had a nice quiet time. But on the flight out, the plane was absolutely full. And when we arrived at Dubrovnik Airport, it was, I mean, the place was teeming. There was like thousands of people there. And much to my surprise, there's all these buses look called Paddy's Tour and, and, and Limerick bus companies over there. And it turned out it was full of Irish people all going to this place where the Virgin Mary apparently appeared. Um, what's it called? Medjugorje. Thank you. We've got a Slovenian assistant here. Uh, Medjugorje. And apparently the Virgin Mary appeared there to a couple of peasant girls on a hillside. And the message she gave was that, um, that what the world needs... And what we really need is renunciation. And so pondering on this, again, I don't think it can be emphasized too much that, that this, is not, this is not about taking a position against uh, eating in the evening or makeup or music or uh, intimate sexual relationships and so on. This is not about that. It's rather about finding that place within ourselves where we're not being not being driven by our conditioning where we're able to say no yeah, we're able to say no and what happens as a result of that is that we find we have this capacity to let go in a very gentle way uh, this is um, we all hear Ajahn uh, Sumato, Ajahn Chah read all the teachings about letting go and of course, we all think it's a good idea, and what we try to do, of course, is to get rid of things. You know, we try to push things away, things that cause us suffering. And um, well, letting go, when it's real letting go, of course, is something quite different. Letting go is what happens when we finish with something, yeah. when, we, when we don't need to hold on to it anymore. We're not depending on it anymore. So I, I consider renunciation as, as really often as it's, it's, a, it's a matter of letting go of what's extra. Yeah, and I often contemplate, you know, is this necessary? Mm-hmm. Letting go of what, what's not necessary. Letting go of the things that we always add to the situation. So if these gestures we make physically of letting go, the, the precepts, letting go, eating in the evening, letting go of music and so on. These are the outer forms that... encourage the spirit of letting go inwardly. Because yeah. really what we're trying to let go of that thing which is ultimately extra, which is me. Yeah, this me and my way. We always, my expectations, my demands, my requirements. And we, we go through life with uh, all these um, accumulated conditioning and tendencies and habits and so on. That actually, you know, when you look at it, I don't think it's very difficult to see that actually it really spoils life. You know, the assumptions that we have about the way, way life should be and the assumptions we have about how I should be and 
And uh, these assumptions actually get in the way. They trip us up. I got tripped up uh, this morning. Uh, I think it was a very minor point, but uh, I have this assumption that Ajahn Suchito, when he starts to give a Dhamma talk, it's going to at least last one hour, if not an hour and a half. And so after the Patimoka this morning, he started to give a Dhamma talk. And when he finished after five minutes, I was so shocked that I forgot to do the Handamiyam. And uh, I was supposed to do this, you know, the second month, supposed to do this acknowledgement of appreciation. And it was a very lovely talk, actually, a very nice talk. And I you know, would have been pleased to do the Handamiyam, but uh, I had this assumption. Ajahn Sichito always talks for an hour, at least an hour and a half, if you're lucky. And... And, um, you know, well, we all have examples of the assumptions that we have in our life and we get around burdened by these assumptions. But how do you let go of them? That's the thing. How do we let go of these conditioned assumptions that we have with regards to ourselves, with regards to life, other people? And um, letting go of habits takes energy. And I feel this is what renunciation is really addressing, that when we when we train ourselves to say no to these fairly neutral, simple things, like I often encourage people to uh, say no to listening to the news once a week. You know, a lot of people are addicted to the Today program. I've heard that some people can't even get out of bed without James Nochte or John Humphreys there to help them. This is, um, it's, you know, you, the little things that we have that we, we feel very comfortable with. They're not big deal, moral issues, but... If we choose to learn to say no, say, can I say no to turning on the Today program? Just so we know that we can say no. Because the good thing is when we know we can say no, then we can say yes in a different way. This this applies to a lot of things in life. To really be able to say yes in a wholehearted, embodied, enthusiastic, trusting, responsible way... If we don't know, we can say no. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of doubtful, really, that we can say yes, really, responsibly. And so taking on training uh, as a householder in various ways or as a formal, committed lifestyle way, as a celibate renunciate, as a monk or nun, uh, I think it's, it's addressing this principle of learning how to access the energy we have in a very conscious, uh, responsible way. And then we find that uh, also what happens when we, when we recognize we have this potential to generate this energy, that um, there's a certain confidence comes from that. It's just like with, with physical, physical confidence. Um, you know, you, if you're healthy and strong, well, you, you know, you can look after yourself. You know, there's people around you got bugs or whatever. You, you're not terribly afraid of getting sick. Whereas on the other hand, if you're very sick and weak and feeble, well, then we always feel vulnerable. Well, the heart is the same. That if we find ways of skillfully generating inner strength and stability, we feel we can take an attack. You know, you like you can be more open to things. You, can, you don't have to be so afraid of being hurt. And with that comes also an ability to look at things, to open up to things, and to take things on. You know, to admit, for instance, how, how, um, how thick we can be, <laughs> how, how um, unaware we can be. I mean, I was, I, uh, I was very shocked recently 
when I realized, probably a good number of you will realize, uh, will have heard, will recognize that that uh, it's 40 years since Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Band came out. I mean, that is that, can you, you know, 40 years. I can remember when my father was 40, he was geriatric. You know, when my father was 40, he was almost finished. And now, it's 40 years since that, you know, life-transforming experience of, of Sergeant Pepper's came out. So, but anyway, when, when you get these little kind of shocks, or they, whatever, you're surprised by something, or, you know, when the senior monks, we get together these days, and, you know, Ajahn Suchito is taking Omega something or other, 30 or Omega 3 or something, and, and I'm taking this, we all sit around and we talk about who's got what disease and, and uh, but actually, to be re- to really, to really take on board aging, it takes a certain uh, preparedness, because denial is really strong. And this is, you know, denial is just another word for ignorance. We have these conditioned tendencies of ignoring reality that have serious consequences. You know, and it shows up when you get shocked that you hear that it's forty years. Or I was shocked the other day when. I found out that that Hiriko here has never heard of Dark Side of the Moon. And he, he thought it was an astronomical phenomena. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe that I know anybody who doesn't know Dark Side of the Moon. That was something in my life that was you know, profoundly important. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> we're getting old. We're really getting old, and 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 to take it on, to really take it on, and. and and, and death is a, is a real thing. Now, we only get shocked. This is, this is something to, you know, to think about. We only get shocked. Why? Because we're holding on to f- false assumptions, isn't it? You know, why do we get surprised? When there's, when there's nothing wrong with being surprised at some of the, you know, waking up, it's a fine day, and it's surprised, you know, wonderful, and enjoy that. But I mean surprised, shocked at things like old age, sickness, and death. You know, these these things shock us um, because we're holding on to uh, things that are not uh, real, not true. So how do we how do we uh, see through the veils? How do we see through the the assumptions? How do we see through the conditioned habits? Well, it takes energy. It takes energy, and and again, I think. This is how I relate. This is what I understand renunciation is about. It's a way of, of generating energy consciously and skillfully so we can... It's like it. It's a burning. You know, it is. It's a burning of these false views that we have about ourselves, about others. You know, the views that we have about ourselves. I'm this kind of a person. You know, I am inherently limited. When I come across this experience, when I have this experience, when this happens to me, I can't handle it. That's a view. That's an opinion. That's a conditioned perspective. Now, what's happened in the past might support that view, and it might be difficult to not believe in that view, but if we generate sufficient internal energy, then what happens that when this, this impulse, this trigger, this conditioning comes up that's about to solidify into a me that's like this, what happens? Well, there's another possibility. A completely different possibility exists. 
because of this, this new momentum, the momentum of renunciation, the momentum of restraint, which, which, which inhibits the assumption. We don't have to, we don't have to grasp. You know, the habits of grasping are so strong and, and they're so difficult to undo. But there is something we can do about it if we know how to tap into the kind of energy that uh, undoes these assumptions, yeah. undoes the habits, undoes the conditioning about ourselves, about others. I mean, you know, the world is racked with, you know, horrible, tragic assumptions about each other, you know, the different nationalities and and so on. And, the, you know, the very, very serious consequences, aren't there? You know, what goes on? I mean, these are not small things, but the the... the the outrageous and regrettable and unnecessary uh, fears and then behaviour that comes out of being driven by these assumptions, the conditioning. And if we don't have a practice going, if we don't have a practice that is fueled by energy, yeah, then we can fall for this. And it's, it, it, you know, it, it hurts. It causes pain for ourselves and it causes pain in the world. And I uh, don't think that monastic communities are free from this as well. Believe me, what goes on in monasteries, you know, these four guys that are going to take precepts tomorrow, they, I don't know, I suppose they, I hope they've been around long enough to know that monasteries are no escape from, from um, people being pushed around by their deluded assumptions. But the wonderful thing is that we all share something, and that is, and, it's, and, and this is what the spiritual community is about. This is a shared aspiration for going beyond this. And so, for us, you know, giving up music—I mean, yeah, it's difficult. You know, music is one of the serious great pleasures of life. And giving up music, giving up growing your own vegetables. Personally, I mean, you know, there were other things in life that I didn't find so hard to give up. But being independent, being able to grow your own cabbages. <laughs> Yeah, it's just being able to look after yourself. You've got to give it up. Uh, but as difficult as these things can be, if there's an understanding behind it, we're not giving them up because they're wrong or there's anything inferior about them, whatever, but, but in pursuit of liberation, because we want to see, because we want to be able to see beyond these, this compulsion of ignorance, the compulsive ignoring of reality, which causes us and others, so much pain. Then we're willing to do it. There's a willingness. There's even a joy. I mean, a, I'm sure if you talk to these four guys, you see that there's a real privilege to be able to make this gesture of renunciation. And that's very different from what a lot of people in the world think about renunciation. They think, oh, how do you do it? It must be so difficult. It's just, oh, it's so hard. And, you know, you poor things. <laughs> no, it's a privilege. It's wonderful. Uh, it's a good fortune. There's, um, when I was home in New Zealand recently, earlier this year, I was uh, with a friend and we were, we were going to visit some thermal hot springs. Um, Argentania might know the Debrett Pools in Taupo, some um, very, very pleasant places that I used to frequent as an adolescent and my friend and I were driving past this place and uh, I said, oh, you know, well, you can get these private pools there. You know, you don't have to go into public pools, which, you know, as a monk would probably wouldn't look very suitable. 
And um, and so I said, we used to be able to get these private pools, and my you know my bones could do with a good soak. I got arthritis, and uh, you know for medicinal reasons, I think you know would you like to go and ask? And and so uh, sure enough, we you know, we parked at the Debrett Hotel, and he went over to the lady in the kiosk there and, and explained and he came back and said oh yeah we've got some private pools and we can go and I've hired a couple of pools and so we're walking down there and and he said to me he said you know that lady in the kiosk there when I explained to her that I've got a monk who, who wants a private pool have you got some private pools she says I got no time for monks they're a complete waste of space <laughs> and uh, I, at first I thought he was joking but I, I question him, and he repeats. Says, "No, no." She says, "I got no time for monks at all. They're a complete waste of space." And we do have private pools if you really want one. And um, well, it um, it moved my mind. It moved my mind because I was busy trying to uh, inspire this friend who was with me about how nice Kiwis were. Uh, the Kiwis are very hospitable people. They're not just good at rugby; they're also, you know, really friendly people. And and then this woman in the kiosk. Um, said this about monks, and and well, anyway, the, the, where it was coming from is this um, this kind of attitude, uninspected assumptions that we have about each other and about ourselves, and this is the world. And I think it's helpful to understand this that we you know we can get around thinking the world is such a solid thing, you know, that wars are such a you know a, a permanent things, and and problems in relationships and problems within the community are permanent things. And we forget that, you know, we, sometimes we get around thinking that we're powerless, we can't do anything about it, that, you know, it's all terrible. Well, my experience is quite the opposite, that when, with the power of renunciation, actually there is something we can do about it. It's wonderful to be able to, however, even when we're sick, to recognize that if we, if we just remember, if we've done the work beforehand, a little bit beforehand, and then we remember in the moment that there is this possibility of generating this power with understanding, with mindfulness, with restraint, that you, you tap into something whereby you can undo, you can dissolve, you can outshine these old assumptions, these old habits we have about ourselves and about life and about each other. And so then we don't feel powerless. And actually on that occasion when uh, I was, um, yeah, as I said, my mind was moved a little bit uh, for a few minutes, and uh, it kind of interrupted the anticipated experience that I was, you know, planning on having in the pool. Um, I got in there, got in the pool, and I was, there was a nice little underwater bench, and I was, I was sitting there, and and my mind was, you know, churning over. I wasn't really having a soak in the pool. I was having a, I was preparing a conversation with this uh, this lady that I was going to have on the way out, and I, I thought I would go up to her and. And say, so, you got a problem with monks or what? You know, I mean, when was the last time you met a monk anyway? And I thought I would educate her a little bit. And I, I thought that I would help her. That's what I thought I thought. But, you know, the wonderful thing actually is the momentum of practice, the momentum of what was going on was that actually I'm not committed to that. You know, I haven't spent the last 31 years cultivating, you know, being unpleasant to people. Uh, really, cultivation of renunciation you know, it gets its own momentum, and actually, letting go happens. You know, I didn't sit in the pool and think, oh, "I've got to listen to the sound of silence. I've got to watch my breath. I've got to watch my body posture. I've got to do something to overcome these thoughts." No, yeah. just the momentum of the practice is you sit there for a while, you just, and you just be, 
present. Be present. You don't have to keep doing something. Letting go again is something that happens. It's not something we do. We don't do the letting go. Letting go happens when we've finished with something. And when we've finished with our false relationship, for instance, with resentment or indignation or anger or or greed or whatever, when we've finished with it, in other words, when when we're no longer feeding on it, fades out. And just in a few minutes of sitting there, very, I highly recommend it. Thermal hot springs are a great place to practice. Just after a few minutes of sitting there, suddenly what I noticed was coming up in my mind was these thoughts of, I, just, I really look forward to walking out and just giving her a smile. And she doesn't know what the life of renunciation is about. She just had a bad spiritual education. And I wanted to go out and do something to make her happy. And what came with that was, was also the recognition of the process that I didn't even realize that I was dwelling on nasty thoughts. It was just kind of, to start off with, it was just, you know, kind of tripped me up a little bit for a few minutes there. And, but just after a few minutes of just sitting, not following the habits of becoming, of going, of doing, whatever, getting rid of my unwholesome thoughts, just, you know, trust in the momentum of practice, of being present, no judgment, here and now, body, mind, letting go happens. And then, the joy arises. Yeah. And you see, this is the way, this is the way it works. Okay, in the beginning, yes, we do have to go through the forms. Yeah. You join a monastery, or you, you take up a training, and you go through these practices, of, you know, you know, these, keeping these precepts, like you know, not eating in the evening. And in the evening, in the beginning, you've got to make an effort to do that. You, you, you've got to, Stop yourself from dwelling on thoughts of food, or even if you're a little bit frivolous, stop yourself from going to the larder. And that's, um, that's seriously frivolous, actually. I remember when I was a, a naughty novice in Thailand, I, I had the job of making the, the hot drinks for the monks. And you know, the monks are not allowed to make their own drinks. They, were, they, know they didn't have access to the sugar cootie, we used to call it, the sugar cootie, which had all the the yummy things in it, and, and I was the novice who used to go and make the drinks, and I'd take the, the stuff over there into the kitchen, and I would just stuff myself for half an hour, just stuff myself. They have these big lumps of sugar, nam oi, they would call them, big lumps of cane sugar, brown stuff, and I would just pig out for half an hour while I was making the drinks for the monk, and then I'd take them over something that was vaguely sweet. <laughs> you know, I couldn't drink anything because I was really sick. But... <laughs> Well, in the beginning, um, you know, the training and renunciation can be hard. You've got to, yes, we've got to make effort. We've got to make a, you know, directed effort. And it's like with learning any form. You know, the forms are there to support the spirit. The spirit of renunciation is the perfectly, intimately familiar ability to not follow my compulsions. In other words, to let go of my way. That's the spirit, to be able to let go of my way. But the forms are something else. The forms are there to support the spirit. If we don't understand this, well then of course we make a big thing out of the forms. And this is why renunciation, for instance, has got a bad reputation. People see all the forms and then sometimes the people who keep the forms don't understand the point of the forms that support the spirit and so they make a big thing out of the forms. But it's like with, with Tai Chi, you know, when you start, if you, any of you 
have learned Tai Chi. You, you go to see the master, and the master shows you how to do this form. There's these really lovely, graceful movements, and clearly this is just a beautiful, effortless thing that the master is doing. And, and then he suggests, or she suggests, that that you you try, you know, you slowly you bend your knees slightly, and you allow your arms to come up, and you start to move. And you just feel so goofy. You just feel like a total wally, kind of trying to, you know, do these things that the, it's not so easy. And then you think, well, maybe you know, you'll, you know, perhaps you, you want to suggest the master changes the form. Well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? You wouldn't do that. You, know, you wouldn't do that because, on that level, we understand that the form is there, so the Tai Chi form is there, so the spirit, the Chi eventually it will flow in a way whereby it brings in life, enhanced liveliness, well-being and health and so on. And well, so it is with the uh, the forms of renunciation. In the beginning, you know, giving up these things, you know, not letting the mind dwell on heedless thoughts, it takes a certain sort of an effort. But what happens if we stick with it? Well, then it becomes, it becomes if you like, a skillful habit. It becomes a tendency that works for us. And so this becomes, actually, this becomes instead of, it's not like the, the fact that one's got to keep always making the effort. You know, it, it feeds back to us and starts, we're not doing it, it's doing us after a while. And still there is, you know, of course, there's, um, there's that doesn't mean to say the life of renunciation suddenly becomes blissful. Because as I was saying, the real point of renunciation is to be able to give up my way. And as we give up my way, as more and more we're letting go of that which is false, letting go of the the false way of feeding for praise or the you know, feeding on, on that false energy or or feeding on on, on pleasure that comes in, in certain ways and, and you know, just try how to get ahead, you know, which we can do in gross and subtle ways, even as monks and nuns, you know, you can still feed on this false energy. As we see these things more and more, let go. What we're letting go of is false security. The security we're getting as children, as babies, you know, we security by, you know, hungry, suffer, get, grab, stuff, feel better. You know, basic instinct. You all, know, as babies, it's perfectly understandable. And as we grow up as children, you know, that toy there, get, grab, play with, happy. But then as we become adults, you know, hopefully, you know, we start to reflect on this, or this getting, grabbing, having, it's got serious limitations because, you know, the more getting, grabbing, having you have, it becomes very tedious, really, because you've just got more, more and more wanting all the time. So hopefully we start to reflect on this and, and start to see, well, you know, there are other ways of living. This getting, grabbing, having is not the only way of, of living our lives. But still, when we do start to give up, this artificial way of giving a sense of solidity, solidity and security and, and feeling good about ourselves, well, there's another sort of difficulty comes up, very deep. I'm sure any of you who have been on, on retreats or been practicing for any length of time are aware of how, how seriously unsettling uh, practice can be. When we start to release out of the sense of certainty, feeling sure about who I am, feeling sure about anything, 
feeling sure about anything. You know, somebody was talking to me about this the other day, and I forget who it was actually, but I do remember what it reminded me of, of a time when, you know, not so long ago, I went through a period, I just, just, just an agonizing sense of the utter, utter meaninglessness of everything. Utter meaninglessness. Of any, and you can't even have the thought, what's the point of anything? Because even that was utterly meaningless. You know, what do you do? Well, this, uh, you know, I think this, this, is, this is something that, uh, it's, it's what we have to go through. But, if we prepare ourselves properly, uh, we don't assume, again, the validity of these thoughts. You know, we, we've, this is like giving up certainty is not, you know, giving up certainty is not a bad thing. You know, giving up certainty actually feels good because a lot of the certainty we've had is a false certainty. You know, I'm sure about who I am, I'm sure about what I'm doing. These are ideas we have about who we are. So giving up, in fact, renunciation is not really giving up anything other than our deluded ideas about who we are and what we're doing. However, having said all that, we do still, uh, as we progress on this path and whatever, as we're doing it as a householder or doing it as a celebrate renunciate, we do need to be very cautious and very careful. The path of renunciation, um, like anything that involves energy, can be very intoxicating. You can get a lot of energy going, get very enthusiastic and and get um, enamoured with the, the, the life of renunciation and, and uh, get a little bit crazy about it, really. And uh, So the Buddha also encouraged, very alongside the encouragement for renunciation, also modesty. Um, Rajan Chah was, you know, once I was, in fact, just before I was leaving Thailand, uh, I lived there for five years and and just before I left, there was a young monk there who I was translating for. And, and he, was, he asked me to translate to Rajan Chah what he wanted to do for the wasa, for the rainy season retreat. He wanted to do the nasijik vata, you know, the sitting up, not lying down at all for the whole three months, and only going to do the three-robe wearer's practice, and was only going to do the one-bowl-eater's practice, and he was going to do this practice and that practice, and... There's 13 Dutanga or ascetic practices that you can take on, and he was doing as many as he could, you know, what he's going to. And he was asking me to translate this to Ajahn Chah and explain his determination for the Wasa. And so I was going through this, and Ajahn Chah listened. Oh, yes, it's very good, he said. And then at the end, he just said, Well, he said, I think, I think what you should determine is, uh, is just keep practicing whatever happens. And that's enough for now. Yeah. Even the practice of renunciation is something that you know we don't. You know we can get out of balance in that as well, and and um, alongside generating energy and enthusiasm and renunciation and deepening and and breaking through and burning through and so on. Also, we need to remember the place of of patience. That that uh, if we haven't got patience, then you know, even renunciation goes wrong goes off. And, and patience is really a wonderful strength. Sometimes we, in our spiritual practice, we can become enamored with the things that are very clearly visible, like insights and, and energy and concentration and 
or stages of renunciation or ability to practice renunciation, these things are very uh, energizing and inspiring. Whereas you talk about patience, you know, you're like, oh, what, a, what a wimpish kind of practice, patient endurances. But really, without patience, it's very difficult, in fact, impossible. Again, talking about Ajahn Chah, you know, remember he, he used to have, he had this expression, which means, in the end, there's just patience. We can try, you know, energy. We can try renunciation. We can, we can try loving kindness. We can do all these things, but we also, at times in practice, get pushed into corners where nothing works. Absolutely nothing works. Absolutely nothing we can do or try is going to make any difference. And what are we left with? Well. Hopefully, by that time, we've already trained ourselves and prepared ourselves with patient endurance. And, and patient endurance, I see patient endurance and renunciation go together. Because renunciation is really, it's really giving up our demands for things to be otherwise. Um, before I went to uh, uh, Croatia recently, I was staying with uh, Thierry. Many of you will remember Thierry Tissero, who used to live here uh, a few years ago. He's back living in France now. And he, uh, he, was, he reminded me of a talk of mine that he heard many years ago where I um, referred to an advertisement I saw on somewhere. I saw an advertisement for a bank card, a credit card, you know, a piece of plastic. You know. And this bank was advertising their credit card as just, Take the waiting out of wanting. Get such and such a credit card. And you, know, you don't have to wait for anything. You can get it now. You can have it now. You know. and, and these days, of course, with Amazon.com and eBay, it's even nicer, apparently. Um, I don't have a credit card, fortunately, but apparently it's even nicer. You just, oh, that's, within two days, you've got your book from Amazon or whatever. And, well, it's a real con, isn't it? You know, take the waiting out of wanting. It doesn't work. You can't take the waiting out of wanting. But anyway, what he was, what Thierry was saying was he's twisted it around and said he's taken the wanting out of waiting. I thought it was very clever. To learn how to wait without wanting. Yeah, to learn how to wait. I think it's a, it's a wonderful suggestion to the mind. It's really a skill. You know, again, as uh, those guys who are joining the community should prepare themselves because this is, we're professionals at this. This is what we do. I always, I always kind of find it funny when people say, oh, I apologize for keeping you waiting. Because it's what we do most of the time. You know, the abbot is you know always making you wait for something, and you, know, you wanted to get on with eating or leaving the chanting or leaving the sitting or finishing the talk or whatever. You know, we but we make a practice out of it, and this because we make a practice not because we're a bit sick, not because we're perverted or something. We're not, it's, not, it's not like nails and hair shirts or something. Is it? But no. But if you if you if you learn how to be able to wait without wanting. I don't know what to say about it, really. It's just very good. Yeah. Well, not that I'm that good at it, but I've got a little feeling for it. And it, 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 it's a certain sort of strength. You know, you can, you, you can learn from very difficult situations. Mostly we get around thinking that for practice and for life, for everything, that things have got to be agreeable. Well, we need to, pretty early on in practice, get the message that it doesn't work like that. That, uh, you know, that 
that it's the uh, the difficulties really are the things that I mean, we all heard this, you know, but it's, it's the truth. The difficulties are things that teach us most. Well, how do we learn from the difficulties? Well, patience is wonderful. It's just it's just incomparably good stuff. Somebody was somebody came to me recently. We're talking about their practice and and they've been practicing for many years and uh, and really really making a lot of effort to practice and. Uh, very committed and made a lot of gestures of pronunciation. And yet as she was explaining her practice to me, it was quite clear that there was there was a sort of an underlying demand for results. It was like after all I put into this, and after all these years, after all this effort, yeah, well, there was a sort of something there that was that was kind of not really there in the moment, but was requiring something and and so I suggested to her I said well how about if you imagine that um, you know like you had an appointment to see the Buddha like you're in the Buddha's waiting room and the Buddha's in his office and you've got an appointment to see the Buddha in other words you know enlightenment's coming you know it's yours it's, 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 you know it's coming insight's coming it's just a matter of time now what are you going to do when you're sitting there in the waiting room I mean, what are you going to do if you've got an appointment with the Buddha and you know he's in his office. Uh, what are you going to do? You're going to bang on his door and demand he sees you now? I mean, we wouldn't do that, would we? So I suggested that as a contemplation, she holds us. You know, this is practice. This is what we're doing. But basically, all of us are sitting in the Buddha's waiting room. But how do we sit? How do we wait? How do we be with these compulsive desires, the gross ones and the subtle ones? Well... It's my experience and my encouragement, particularly this evening, on the eve of this uh, ordination ceremony that's coming up, that uh, you know we consider the, what renunciation is, nekamma paramita in Pali. What is it really? Yeah. This is not just a good thing, this is not a moral issue, but it's an energy dynamic that, that we can, we can and cultivate. Yeah. We just find little places in our life yeah, whether it's listening to Radio 4, whether it's reading a newspaper, whether it's, you know, whatever. Yeah, little places where we can simply, consciously, intentionally choose to say no to ourselves. Just for the exercise of being able to say no. And then see what develops, see what evolves. See if it isn't the case that we find this, this increased inner strength and increased capacity for saying yes in a very responsible way. So I think I'll leave for that this evening. Thank you very much for your attention.